Thank you so much uh, to the PAC family. Can we give them another round of applause? I, I feel like um, I don't have to give you a sermon today, only if you are so lucky. Uh, I'm ready. <laughs> um, hey, I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving uh, weekend with your friends, family, your loved ones. It's so good to see you here on this Sunday. Uh, you guys are the the faithful ones, uh, making it to church service on a Sunday after holiday. So I credit you for that. Uh, I'm James. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Hope. And I just want to say every time I get to uh, do this, it's, it's truly a, a joy for me. Uh, and I do pray that this time would be honoring and pleasing to the Lord our God and as well as beneficial for you, the people of God. Um, we may remember that we've been going through a series on the book of Hebrews titled Jesus is Greater. And last Sunday, uh, it was Hebrews chapter 7 talking about Jesus being a better priest. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One is that Jesus is forever, uh, but human priests, they all die off. Uh, But perhaps more importantly, it's that the human priests needed the law, the commandments of God, which is actually a part of a system called the Old Covenant, right? It's a way that God has connected to his people in the Old Testament times. It, it consisted of the law, like the Ten Commandments as written in Exodus chapter 20 and 19, and all of the surrounding laws with it that God wanted to connect to his people by people obeying his commands through his law. That's the Old Covenant. Jesus is better. He's a better priest because while other priests needed this Old Covenant, Jesus himself was the sacrifice for human sins. So he did not need the old covenant. In fact, he fulfilled, as he himself would say, the old covenant. And that's why Jesus is the better priest. And today, if you look at Hebrews chapter 8, the first five verses are going to argue and repeat the same points that we have learned in chapter 7 because that's going to be the argumentative basis for the claim that is to come in verses 6 through 13, which is about a better covenant. Better priest makes better covenant. I hope that makes sense for you. That's what we're going to dive into today. So if you would please open up to Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 13. Scripture today is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, verses 6 through 13. And this is the word of the Lord. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old. As the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach, each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, 
and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Amen. Uh, about a year ago, I was visited by a, a mentor friend, uh, him and his entire family. They're missionaries out in, in West India, and they're just dear people to me and my family. Um, and about a year ago, they had a little bit of visa issues, and so they had to come back to the U.S., and they were staying for a while, and we got to see them. And I remember one particular day, we were hanging out at a park in Pasadena, and it was just in a sweet moment of like reunion and reconnection, a lot of love and encouragement. And I remember sharing my heart with my friend, uh, telling him how life has been so difficult. Do you remember where your life was about a year ago, in the thick of COVID? where everything was online and nothing was the same anymore, and all of the rhythms of life that you were used to perhaps were disrupted. For me, uh, before COVID, I loved starting out my day um, by dropping off my daughter and then coming home, and my wife would already be at work for the most part, um, and I would just read the word, or I would pray, or I would sing some songs, or I would journal, and that's how I'm used to starting my day, and I'll be so spiritually filled, and I feel like I'm connected to God, and, and I love doing that. I, lo- I loved having that kind of routine, and then COVID happened, and my daughter had to go to online school for you parents, if you remember that, right, for you students, if you remember that, and nothing was the same. I could no longer have this quiet time, if you will, of personal connection with my God. Everything had to be disrupted. I mean, I had to be the janitor. I had to be the cafeteria lady. I had to be the IT person, and I had to be the school counselor, and I had to be everything that I really wasn't qualified to do. And truth be told, God and and my personal time with him was just getting pushed aside. And I spent about an entire year that way. And, and at that time, I was telling my mentor friend that, man, I feel so, you know, fake, right? Like, I'm a pastor, like, I'm a professional religious person, and here I am, like, I can't really say that my personal life reflects what I'm telling other people to do. And instead of being given, like, oh, hey, come here, you, like, oh, it's okay, you know, God loves you anyway, like, all that stuff, he challenged me. He said, well, I, I get that I get that you're lacking in your personal time with God, but why does it have to be personal and individual? Why why do you have to define your spiritual life by you and your individual life with God? If you're having a hard time reading the word by yourself because your daughter is around, why not read it with your daughter? Why does your faith have to be personal and individualistic? Why can't you define it as a communal thing? And I was like, what? Like, like, I just didn't understand, right? I was like, what? Like, what do you mean, you know? And until this day, like, I I have to say, I'm not there yet. In fact, as as COVID has been wearing, or I don't even know where we are with COVID anymore, but as it's been just kind of normal, I've kind of gone back to normal. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm fine. I'm comfortable with my personal connection with God. And, and I'm not saying, friends, that personal connection with God is wrong, right? Like, I want you to do your individual devos. I want you to spend quiet time with God. But I think when the word says that Jesus is making a covenant, We have to realize in that there is a communal paradigm of doing faith that is quite different 
than the highly individualistic way of doing life and faith that you and I are used to. We're all about personal freedom and choice, right? That's king in this world. But turns out in the kingdom of God, personal freedom and choice is not the king. Jesus is. And when verse 6 says that Jesus has come and he's doing ministry that is more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, the Bible is distinguishing covenant and promise. And you may all know what promise means, right? Promise is something that we make with each other, sometimes with your friends, sometimes with a group of people, sometimes with your boss, right? It's something, it's a guaranteeing of something based on existing trust or past experiences, future benefits, things like that, right? But the Bible is distinguishing covenant and promise. You see, covenant or promise, I'm sorry, is more of a singular act, right? Think about your best friend. Have you ever promised her something? You probably have. Think about how you, you promised your best friend, oh, we'll go watch movie this Saturday. Well, the promise is your guaranteeing of you two watching a movie this Saturday. But the covenant, berit, is defined as a binding relationship. You see, promise is the guaranteeing of some kind of singular act. But covenant is actually the relationship that you have. The friendship that you guys have is the covenant and not the promise. They're two different things. So here, when we are told that Jesus, the better priest, has something better in store for us, his way of connecting, God's way of connecting to his people compared to the olden times through the law is not as good as his new way of connecting with his people in Jesus Christ is better. We have to realize that what God has in mind is not a a singular act of promise, but it's a binding relationship. And it's not an individual relationship. It's a binding relationship with a community of people. That's the exact definition of berit, or Hebrew for covenant. What does this have to do with anything that you and I do? I guess what I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm trying to have us, and, and trust me, I'm included in this too. I'm trying to have us break out of this American mindset of individualism. I've been doing this pastoring thing for a while now. And I got to say, for the most part, a lot of people come into church and and they consider this worship time their their feeding time. I'm so sorry. This is not your feeding time. This is your worship time. This isn't about you receiving. This is about you giving to God his worth. That's why it's called worship. It's not you, but it's about God. What do we do though? We come in and we sing these songs and we say these nice things and we listen to this pastor. Oh, sometimes he's yelling and sometimes he's funny. Sometimes he's corny. Sometimes, he's, I don't know. And then you feel like you get fed, right? Like you've all heard that. Like I feel spiritually fed and then I feel good. So I go home and live my life. And then when I get hungry spiritually, I come back again in a week. Or sometimes I come back to see my friends or I don't even know why I'm here. So I skip a few weeks and then I come next month. Does that sound familiar? Don't, don't look around, okay? Don't, don't, don't guilt trip anyone here. Look, the way of Christ, it's got to be better than that. It's got to be better than that. It's got to be better than you and me just individually connecting and thinking about it in these chairs. And, and I'm there too, right? Like when I'm not up here, I'm there too with y'all. And, and I'm just listening. And so often when I'm not intentional, I just kind of drift away into like, oh, that was good. Oh, no, I don't agree with that. Oh, I don't ever do that with you, Pastor Steve. But, you know, 
someone else. You know what I'm saying? Like when a guest speaker comes, like, mm, I don't know, you know, like whatever. You know? uh, but, but, you know, if I'm not careful, I'm, I'm just thinking of it as just me and my God. And we fall into the trap, right, in the name of evangelical faith, which is good. Personal relationship with Christ is good. But we can't stay there. Jesus' way doesn't end there. It's a covenant. It's a communal relationship. What does that mean? It's not good enough for you to be spiritually fed here and then go home and do your thing and come back. It's not good enough. If you are fed here, and I want you to be fed, I want you to be filled with the fullness of Christ and the power and life of the Spirit. But once you are and as you are, you have to wonder and act out how you're feeding other people. Don't be satisfied with just being filled yourself. Don't stay in your individualistic mindset. The framework of God in making a covenant with you is not just even with you. It's not me and Jesus. It's us and Jesus. And I'm just getting started right now. (laughs) Um, So let's actually dive into a little bit of... um, why or how the new covenant in Jesus is better than the old covenant, okay? Keeping in mind that the old covenant is God's way of connecting to his people through the law, through 10 commandments given in Exodus 20, and then all of the related laws, right? Basically, people had to obey that law, and God would meet them, right? That was the old covenant. But we're going to see, according to our word today, how the new covenant in Jesus Christ is better than the old. And I will start off with these two couple of things. The Bible says in our passage today that the new covenant is better than the old covenant because new covenant is closer to his people, but it's also wider for his people. It's closer to his people, but it's also wider to his people. This is what I mean. Take a look at verse 10 again. It says, For this is the covenant. He's talking about the new covenant now. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. This is an obvious analogy to the giving of the stone tablets. It says, instead of writing my laws onto a stone tablet where you have to display it and look at it, bind it on your wrist as Jewish people did or even on their foreheads and celebrate it during festivals, what God is going to do is he's going to write his own laws into their hearts. The connection is already different. It's not an outside thing anymore. It's in you. It's very much in your hearts, God's new covenant. So it's closer. But in verse 11, it says this, And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. It says, They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. You know, I think we live in such times where there's so much like flexibility and accessibility in our lives. Isn't that right? Like, I mean, including faith, like you don't have to be here, really. I mean, you could just flip on YouTube or it, you could just do it your way. Like, that's the thing, right? Like, like I, I'm, I'm a college pastor, right? Like, I love you guys. And, but when I communicate with these people, like, some of them, they don't text me back. And I get a little butthurt, you know? Like, what's up, man? You know? But when I message them, like, when I DM them, it's like this. And I just, I'm like, dude, I'm just old. And, like, I don't get it, you know? 
But that's how it works. Like, even the mode of our communication is up to our choice. Again, personal freedom and choice. This is the ruling narrative of our times. And so I think all of that adds into you and me taking our faith and the word for granted. But we have to realize when Hebrews was written, back then, our faith wasn't as flexible and accessible. Faith was a matter of life and death for them. The word was not accessible to them. You couldn't just pick up Bible just because you wanted to, online, you know, in your phones, or in paper, or whatever. People didn't know how to read. In fact, not that I don't think many of you want to be pastors, or do you? I, I don't know. But like, you had to be born into the right family for you to be a pastor, for you to be a priest. It wasn't just because you feel called by God you could be a pastor. No, you had to be born into it. And in fact, if you weren't rich, if you weren't successful, people considered you as cursed by God. You weren't blessed by God. It wasn't that you could just come to church and be part of a church community and you're wanted. Like church community wants you, right? It wasn't like that. You were either with him or you're not. So here, when it says that they shall all know me, God is making himself more accessible to his people from the least of these to the greatest of these. And I think we miss the point because we read the word with our 21st century first world mind where we're just so comfortable and used to doing things the way we want to. But I want you to know and really feel when God is saying that the new way of connection to his people is better, it is better. He wants to get close to you, as close to you in your hearts, and he wants himself to be widely available for his people. The new covenant is closer and wider. But the main thing that I hope that we can remember today is that the new covenant is better than the old covenant because while the old covenant is transactional, the new covenant is transformational. Let me say that again. While the old covenant is transactional, the new covenant is transformational. Have you all seen the movie Shang-Chi? <laughs> so I, I, one of my spiritual gifts, I, I have many, like loitering, you know. <laughs> Y'all do that, right, at church. Um, one of my spiritual gifts that I've been blessed with is spoiling movies, all right? Uh, so I had to practice a lot, okay? Like, I'm not going to do that for you, all right? Like, if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it, all right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, but if you have seen it, right, you may remember that Shang-Chi's dad, right, he has a particular relationship with his kids, Shang-Chi and his sister, and he also has a particular relationship with his wife, would you say that? I would say the relationship between the dad and the kids, it's more transactional. It's contractual. The love is conditional. I mean, he cares for them, but really what he cares more about is his own agenda. The kids are only there. They can come and go as they are needed for his agenda. They need to hold up their end of the bargain Otherwise, they're not worth it. That's the type of relationship that he has with his kids. But what about with his wife? It's more transformational. It's transformational in that he is committed. It doesn't actually matter whether she holds end of her bargain or not. He's just committed. 
He has pledged himself to love and care and to go after the things of her regardless of the cost, regardless of where she's at or how she is. And it's changing his life. And you all have relationships like that in your lives. Think about that. Can you think of a few relationships that that you have that are more or less transactional? Maybe some people in your life treat you that way, right? Maybe to them, you you have walked away feeling like you're not really important to them. They don't care for you for who you are. They only care for you because you bring certain benefits in your life. But you also have, I'm going to guess, some transformational relationships in your life where you are loved unconditionally, where actually you've made some mistakes and it didn't matter that the person was committed to you. And what would happen then? Their love for you changes who you are. You see, the old covenant is transactional. Verse 9, not like the covenant, this is the old covenant, that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue my covenant, so I showed no concern for them. That, that was striking to me. To me, like, I'm used to this, like, fluffball Christianity where it's like, you know, God's like this, like, softy, like, oh, like, I love you no matter what. Like, let's sing Kumbaya. Like, I don't know. Do you, do you get like that sometimes, you know? But when you read the Bible, God's not like that. It straight up says, what God is saying is here is this. He's saying, look, in the old days, when I connected to your people or my people through the law, through the old covenant, I needed them to fulfill my commandments, but they didn't. So guess what? He says, I stopped caring. (laughs) I could see God in heaven like, (laughs) you know, like they didn't do their part. So I'm not going to do mine. I don't care. They did not continue in my covenant. So I showed no concern for them. I didn't care. That was the old covenant. But the new covenant in Jesus, verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. And I'll skip down to the the latter half. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And continuing in verse 12, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins No more. When you read this text in the original language, the repeating phrase word that says I will or I will be is in Greek esomai. Esomai, right? And esomai is actually a loaded term that at times the Bible uses to refer to the very nature of God. In John, in the Gospel of John, the seven I am sayings is all written in esomai. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection. I am the way and the truth. Right? And it's also in Old Testament too, in Exodus, right? Tell them, I am sent you. Sometimes the Bible deploys esomai, right, to indicate God talking about the nature of who he is. But the thing here in this passage is this esomai, this phrase, I am, is written in imperative tense. For you English majors, you would know exactly what I'm talking about. It's written in imperative tense compared to an indicative tense. Now, imperative tense is a commandment, 
right? Do this. An indicative tense is a description. This is that. I don't know fully, but based on my study, I'm going to guess, right? I'm going to make an educated guess that this SOMI, an imperative term, intense, is intentional. That God wants us to know that what he is doing here in his new covenant, it's like he's commanding himself to be pledged into this binding relationship of a new covenant shown through his son, Jesus Christ. It is no longer you need to hold up your bargain because you didn't do this. I'm not going to show concern for you anymore. It's that, no, what you're going to do does not matter for me anymore in my new covenant. What's going to matter is what I'm going to do. And what I'm going to do is I'm committing myself to you. No matter how you behave, I'm going to be merciful. I'm not going to remember your sins and iniquities anymore. It's transformational. It's unconditional. It's no longer contractual in the new covenant with God. You see, the guarantee of the old, old covenant, what guaranteed the old covenant to work was human fulfillment of divine commandments. But the guarantee of the new covenant is the divine fulfillment of human lack. And receiving that kind of love, receiving that kind of mercy ought to change who we are. And they needed, the people who received this letter, Hebrews, they needed that. They needed that kind of transformational relationship with God. We don't know exactly when the book of Hebrews was written, but scholars say that it was probably between 64 A.D., when the great fire of Rome happened, and 70 AD, when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. This was a dark time for the church. This was not a flexible and accessible time. This was you get killed if you follow Jesus kind of time. And what these people needed to hear wasn't, oh, you can't do evil with God, I'm so sorry. It wasn't that. It was that Jesus is greater. That Jesus is greater than the angels. That Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the tabernacle and the temple system and the priestly cultures. That Jesus is the greater priest who brings a greater covenant, God's transformational love and relationship with his people. And so the church, church, you guys, in that same spirit, I want to tell you, that what you need to hear today is that Jesus is greater. Whatever it is that you may be holding on to. And for some of you, I'm going to guess that you don't even care. But you know what? God still cares. And one day, I believe and hope that you too will experience this unconditional, pursuing love that God has given to me. And to some of us. For those of you who are Christ followers, I think this is a call for us to stop living contractually. Stop living transactionally with God. Don't make your relationship with him 
just coming in and out of church buildings on Sundays, but be transformed by the renewing of our hearts, as it says in Romans. Be transformed, realizing that no matter who you are and what you do, what your life situation is like, that there is hope in Jesus, the one who came, the one who died, and the one who rose again. Because this God, the way of the new covenant, is that he will be merciful towards your iniquities, and he'll be, he will remember your sins no more. Would you join me in prayer now? If you would please reflect with me wherever you have been, maybe for some of you this Jesus is just not real. I'd like you to just spend some time uh, really asking yourself, then, then what is real? And what are you chasing? The way of Jesus is transformational. It's an unconditional love that is offered to you. The way of the world is transactional. You're only valuable as what you bring to the table. So would you ask God to give you faith today, to choose his ways, because you can't do that on your own strength, but God can. And for those of us who are Jesus followers, would you reflect with me maybe some of the idols that you have had in your hearts, because Jesus is greater than that. Maybe your security and identity have been found in your bank accounts and how good-looking your boyfriend is. Or whether you're in med school or law school or whatever career you're pursuing, the prestige of your job or schooling, maybe your kids, how they're doing. But none of those things are anything to God who owns the universe. And yet, that's the same God who has come to pledge himself to a binding relationship to you, not just with you, but to us. And so let us pray and reflect on really what that all means and how we can live that out so that we may no longer be transactional with God, but be transformational. Let's pray together, church.